Jesus walked toward his death, picturing life for you. That's really good news. Jesus walked toward his death, and while he was doing that, you were on his mind. He was picturing a new life for you. That's where we want to get today, and that's the uh, idea that I want you to walk out of this place with and into the world with. Um, we're going we're gonna to get there in uh, Mark chapter 9, if you want to be finding that in your Bibles, and, uh, and I'll catch you up there. But uh, while we get there, I want to share a little bit about my story, one part of my story that I think helps us as we get into this today. I grew up in a little town called Odin. Uh, Josh and Melissa Ballard are actually going to Odin this next week, and uh, I was telling them about all the amazing things they're going to see there. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I grew up 30 minutes from Walmart, 30 minutes from McDonald's. I didn't even have that stuff, so it was crazy. But I loved it. Uh, growing up in the middle of nowhere has its perks. It really does. Um, 22 years later, I graduated from Campbellsville University in December of 2008, and uh, my brothers and my, my mom and dad, they came down for the ceremony, and we celebrated uh, my graduation that night. And the next day, we moved everything I owned, which could fit in one car, from my dorm room to a brand new apartment in Lexington, Kentucky. I would start my first ministry there uh, two weeks later. And uh, I can remember that day in Lexington. It was, um, ended up being pretty formational, I think, in my life. We were carrying boxes into the apartment. It only took like two trips. And uh, we were carrying these boxes into the apartment when one of my brothers stopped. And uh, in the apartment, like, you could look out over the front and you looked out over Tate's Creek Road. Um, it was awesome. Like, I loved living there. And we were standing there looking at, and you can see, like, people are, like, actually outside. There were, like, three restaurants right in front of my house, and cars are everywhere. And my brother's, like, big old eyes, you know, like, first time to the city. And um, my brother, he looked at me in disbelief, and he goes, so you're going to live in a city now? And my dad, uh, he's, the, he's an eternal pessimist. <laughs> And he, he, uh, he chimed in as he walked by, and he said, yep, Blake's not ever going to live on the farm again. And uh, I was really taken back by that, because in that moment, there's this weird wave of emotions that just crashed in as I thought about all the change that was happening in my life. The night before, I was graduating college, and you kind of still feel like you're connected to your family, but then the very next day, we're moving into a place that's mine, and my dad is saying things like, he's never coming home again. I was like, whoa, what is going on? And in that moment, I'll just be honest, I didn't want to live in the city anymore. I would have traded everything that was new and exciting in my life in to just go back to what felt normal, to what felt like home. I didn't want to move out. I didn't want to move out of my parents' house. I didn't want to move out into the world. I didn't want to move out into the, the mission and the, God, and the plan that God had for me. I didn't want to move out. I wanted to stay in what was safe and what was comfortable. I was completely sucked into the reality that life would never be the same again. And those next few months living in Lexington were some of the most difficult months of my life. Not only was it the typical things that you might think about, you know, just loneliness, finding friends, new things, 
But in that season, sin ran rampant in my life. And with that sin, there was the guilt of wallowing in sin. And, and all at the same time, right, like I'm called to ministry, so I'm like on staff at a church and wallowing in sin. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on in my life? I don't even understand all the changes that are happening. And, and yet here I am, like I am stuck and sucked into all this sin in my life. And I'm supposed to be like an example for these teenagers. Like it was crazy, right? I didn't understand how I was supposed to resolve that. So these next few weeks, as we lead into the Easter season, we're going to go through this journey. We're going to follow Jesus on his journey from Galilee, where he had done most of his ministry, to Jerusalem, where he would die on a cross. Here at Christ Community, we talk about a passage in Hebrews 13 uh, very often, where it says that Jesus went outside the gates to die for our sins. And that idea carries with it the, the idea that Jesus was moving out to the cross to die and, and pay for our sins. And inside of that, that journey starts here in Mark chapter 9. It starts as Jesus moves away from this ministry in Galilee where he's become a rock star in, in, in some sense, and he begins moving towards his death. And what we're going to see as he goes on this journey is that he has so much to teach us as we join him on the outside, as we join him in moving out into things that are hard and that make us uncomfortable. And what we also see is that it's on this journey of change. It's when things are changing in our life that we live in that same tension that I described when I first moved to Lexington. The tension of will we move out into the mission and the plan and the things that matter that God has for us, or will we be sucked back in to the sin that exists in our lives? So we're going to spend four weeks on this idea of, of moving out to mission so that we don't get sucked into sin. And we're going to jump forward in the book of Mark. We've been studying in Mark, but we're going to jump forward to, to Mark chapter 9. And this section of Mark is, is really unique, okay? It's the time between these two ministries, between Galilee and Jerusalem. And it takes us behind the scenes to these conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples. As following Jesus went from being this cool thing to where these are the 12 guys who are helping Jesus do these miracles and healings to this thing where it's kind of a little bit scary to follow this Jesus guy. And we're going to follow along with the disciples and see what it means for us to be moving out to mission with him. So if you found Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 30. And if not, we're going to have it on the screens for you. It says this. Then they left that place, as Jesus and his disciples, and they made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it. He'd become a rock star, right? For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. You see, we see the same tension in the disciples. They'd been with Jesus. They, they'd been journeying with him. They were excited to be a part of the team. But now, as they're leaving Galilee and as they realize, hey, there's something to this ministry and they're moving to Jerusalem, they finally got some time to think. They're, things are changing. Everything is transitioning. And as they're doing that, as they have some time to think and be left with some free space, they get sucked into the sin of being a part of the success. 
as a result, the disciples are considering how great they really were, right? Who's the greatest? Who did the best job of helping Jesus in Galilee? Who's going to get the most rewards in heaven? And who can blame them, right? Jesus is literally changing the world, and they were part of the entourage, and, and they're beginning to feel some of that success. They probably hadn't had much time to think about it, but now as things were changing and they were journeying to the next thing, they had time to think about it, and they thought that they were pretty cool. So let me ask you a question. Ask us a question. What's changing in your life? What is transitioning in your life? Maybe you're moving into a new home. Maybe, like our family, there's a new child on the way. It's going to be here soon. Maybe you're new to town. Maybe you're between jobs. Maybe you've just changed jobs. Maybe you have just started a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship that you've lost for one reason or another. Perhaps it's death, a breakup. Perhaps a friend that you thought was a friend who is no longer a friend. Things are always changing in our lives, right? And it's this idea that when things change, we're either going to move forward and move out to the mission that God has for us, or we're going to be sucked back into the sin that so often holds us back. Now, maybe we're not like the disciples. It's not always getting sucked into prideful thinking that holds us back. But sometimes our changing circumstances can just cause us to neglect healthy habits and relationships that keep us from moving out to what's next. When life is changing around us, we, we tend, like it's biblical, that we get sucked back into our sinful nature. Like when we default, we default to sin. Another kid in the family makes it harder to have a meaningful marriage. We default into sin. A new job means a raise, and that extra money means more opportunities to indulge ourselves. A new relationship, it brings fulfillment, companionship, friendship, and yet there's a temptation to turn that person into an idol or to allow that person to consume us. Maybe a friend hurts us, and the best option seems to be anger and resentment. Right? We default to sin. The stress of change often causes us to escape to our sinful habits. And so I ask you again, what's changing in your life? And as you think about that, be aware, recognize that oftentimes in the middle of that change, in the middle of that unknown, we will default to sin. We will default to thinking about ourselves. Psalm 51.3 says it this way, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. And as we think about that, we realize that we're, we're stuck in the middle of this tension that I continue to describe, right? The, the idea that we're going to either move out with Jesus to something that matters, or we're going to get sucked into our sin. A couple of illustrations, uh, just some graphs that I want to pull up here to, to help us visualize this idea, right? So when we're being sucked in, a lot of times it starts with us being scattered in our lives. Like everything's changing. We're not sure where everything is. Uh, it's, it's kind of the idea that when you begin to sell your home, like all of a sudden it's like, okay, what's next? I'm not even sure what to do in the process, but this is happening. Everything is scattered around you and you're not sure what's going to happen. And then when you realize that you're scattered and you're not sure what's next, fear sets in. You get scared. Right? And as you deal with that fear, uh, sometimes you push through it, but then other times what happens is, is you just quit. Analysis paralysis. You're afraid to move forward and you just stop whatever you're doing. Sometimes that includes even stopping your belief that God can provide and that God can make a way for you. And after you quit, then you become angry. Angry at God, 
angry at yourself, angry at another person. And so this, this idea of being sucked into sin is this cycle that just oftentimes over and over again continues to draw us away from God and more consumed with ourselves. But there's another cycle, right? There's a cycle of moving out into the mission. It's the cycle that we're going to see and the pattern we're going to see is Jesus walks towards his death through Galilee all the way to Jerusalem to die on a cross for us. He walks towards his death, remember, picturing life for you. And that journey begins with prepping, preparing. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea that if we prepare for the changes that are coming in life, even if we don't know what they are, that we're going to be able to move out to whatever God is calling us to. And when we begin to prepare, the next thing that will happen is God is going to call us to purge some things from our life. And then there's going to be a point where we have to push through some difficult things. And when we get through those things and we're moving out on mission with God, we can praise Him in the middle of whatever we're facing. All right? So these are kind of these cycles that we're going to explore as we go through this next month. Uh, but today... I want us to think about this idea of Jesus preparing us for whatever change that we're in the middle of and whatever change we're facing. Go back with me to verses uh, 30 through 32. It says, Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him, right? So Jesus is telling them well in advance, guys, and this is actually the second time he tells them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. Now, if somebody were to just tell you that, even if you'd seen them do amazing things, but Jesus is like, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back to life, you're like, about that. I'm not really sure what you mean by that. That doesn't sound possible but okay. He's, he's beginning to prepare them. He's beginning to, 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 to think about that, that things are going to change. Jesus knew what he was doing on this journey. He was preparing the disciples for life after him, life after death. And yet he kept walking. He kept leading them. He kept journeying with them. He kept walking towards his death, picturing life for them and for you. He kept moving out, knowing that everything about his existence on earth was going to change because he valued an eternity spent with you more than he did his own comfort. That was his mercy to you. That was just paying for all your sins and scripts. But what's more, he prepares you for the changes of life. He's faithful through his word and through the Holy Spirit and through biblical community to teach you the truths about himself that will carry you through all the transitions your life will face. I'm reminded of the famous psalm, Psalm 23 in verse 4, when it says, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus knew that the only way to not get sucked into sin, even himself, was to keep moving towards his death. Think about that. The only way to not get sucked into sin was to keep moving towards his death. You see, Jesus was tempted just as you and I are. His disciples obviously weren't embracing the idea of him dying. They couldn't fathom it. He had no support. But instead of becoming the victim, instead of making a power grab and just becoming the king, instead of avoiding the pain that he was going to experience on the cross, he moved towards all those things. That's crazy. That's the gospel. Because his death meant life for you. 
You know, just like the disciples, it can be hard for us to understand. It can be hard to, to get it through our thick skulls that if we will move towards dying to ourselves, we will not only avoid being sucked into sin, but we'll also bring glory to Christ at the same time. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says it this way, We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. It's when we're able to identify and remember the death that Christ died on the cross that we actually live the fullest life. And when we join him in dying to ourselves, he gets all the glory. I, uh, Billy Graham passed away uh, recently. How many of y'all know Billy Graham or have heard of Billy Graham, right? How many of you were impacted by his ministry in some way? Billy Graham was an incredible man in the history of Christianity, and he, um, he preached to countless numbers of people. Countless numbers of people were impacted or, or maybe found Christ when he preached. And uh, I'm uh, taking classes through Dallas Theological Seminary, and his grandson, Will, was actually uh, preaching one of their chapels that I have to listen to online uh, just days before his death. And he gets up to preach in this, in this chapel setting, and uh, Will was talking about him uh, just, just days before he was going to die. And he said, here's the thing. He said, uh, my grandpa is ready to die. <laughs> he is ready to die. He said, for some reason, God has me on a holding pattern, and it's lasted 35 years. <laughs> and uh, it was fun to hear his grandson talk about him. And, and what's interesting is that he continued to use him in those 35 years, and yet, the Lord is using his death at just the right time to bring even more glory to his name. I don't know if you've kept up or tracked with any of this, but uh, Kathy Lee talked about the, the impact of his ministry. Social media, it's everywhere. And uh, his funeral was just this week. And there were uh, 497 media outlets who were at his funeral. And so they, they quick did some calculations on that, and it's estimated that more people will view his funeral than the sum of all of his crusades. And that's pretty incredible because he, like, I mean, huge crowds of people every weekend affected by his ministry. And I tell that story to say this, that the Lord can use death to bring an incredible amount of attention to eternal life in Christ. The Lord can use death to bring an incredible amount of attention to eternal life in Christ. And that's why when you and I choose to die, when we die to our preferences, our desires, our wants, sometimes even our needs, Christ is glorified. Eternal life is proclaimed. You see, we can put others first because Christ already put you first. We can put others first because Christ already put you first. He cherished you enough to make you his number one priority. And so we don't have to do that for ourselves anymore. We don't have to care most about ourselves because Christ cares more about you than you care about you. That's incredible. And it also explains why his next teaching to the disciples was this. Mark 9.35 Sitting down, he called the 12, and he said to them. Now, here's what's really cool about this, this visual, right? So usually Jesus didn't sit down when he teach. He was just journeying with the people. 
And, and when you sat down in this culture, uh, this was something that would, would typically be done by the rabbis. This was like a, this was a major teaching moment for Jesus, right? So like if you really wanted somebody to know that you were serious, you would sit down and your students would come to you. And so he sits down, he calls the 12, and they're thinking, okay, this is good. We've been journeying with Jesus. He's done all these cool miracles. He's done all these healings. And now we're going to get the goods. We're going to know how to heal people. We're going to know how to do all these cool things. And he calls them, and he sits down, and he calls them to himself, and he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Do what? That's all you got? That's it? That's the big teaching, Jesus? I wanted to do all the cool things. We're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Maybe you're like the disciples that day. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're a little ashamed of that, but they're not that ashamed. And then Jesus' teaching is the first will be last. They're not getting it. So he grabs a child. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. When you begin moving out with Jesus, whatever that looks like for you, maybe today you're just trying to figure out if you believe in Jesus. And, and the idea of moving out with him is just staying, saying for the first time, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Maybe for you, you said that a long time ago, and then you quit moving with him. You got sucked into sin, and you're trying to figure out how to get back out on mission with him. I don't know where you are on that spectrum, but most of us are probably there. And when you move, when you begin to move out with him, you have to decide, why am I moving? Is it worth it? Because that's the question that our, our self, our flesh, our brain wants to know. In the same way, when our lives are changing, we begin to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Or do I like things the way they are? And when we ask that question, it reveals our true hearts. That we're selfish and we don't like things to change. But it is in these times of change that Jesus calls us to himself. And so Jesus goes on to illustrate with this child. You see, in that culture, children were barely even recognized. Many times they weren't even validated because of the high mortality rates, right? They didn't have pediatricians and all the crazy stuff. Matt Simons, his, uh, his mom wrote an article in Shelby Life last month. And uh, I loved it because she was talking about all the crazy things that you have to buy now to have a baby. <laughs> and she was telling this story about driving from Pikeville to Shelbyville. And she was like, back then, you just put a pillow in the floorboard and you set your baby on the seat beside you. She said, you can imagine Matt Simons just rolling off the seat into the floorboard. So that explains a lot. So imagine back in Bible times, right? The mortality rates were high. These children, a lot of times, they didn't even make it. They were overlooked, forgotten, not recognized. In their minds, to spend time, to spend effort, to spend energy on a child seemed like the biggest waste of time. And don't you think the kids would have felt that? Ignored, forgotten. But this child, this child that we see here in Mark 9, in a moment, 
is welcomed by Jesus. And I would have imagined that when Jesus pulled that child in and said, you need to care about people like this, those 12 disciples would be like, okay, Jesus, I get that. Hey, man, what's your name? Right? They would have cared about that child too. In a moment, this child's life is changed simply because Jesus recognized him and, and welcomed him and brought him into the middle of the conversation. And that's what Jesus does for you. He puts you first. He welcomes you. He calls you in. But what does that mean for us? How do we put this into action? And to that, my question is this. Who's your child? Who have you forgotten? Who have you overlooked? Who have you ignored? And when you can answer that question, then you can answer the question, who will you move for? Who will you move out to the mission for? Who will you picture as you say no to yourself? Maybe it's the elderly who have been forgotten. Another one of my professors, he, he talked about his wife. They're 70-some years old, and, and he was like, you would be amazed when you turn 65 at how the world looks at you differently. All of a sudden, they don't have time for you, they don't value you, and you're just old. Maybe it's the spouse in your very own home. Maybe they're forgotten. What was a vibrant marriage has turned into cohabitation instead of connection and love. As a church, maybe it's the people of Marshall's Terrace or Coca-Cola Commons, our neighbors that we just drive by every Sunday, forgotten. Maybe it's the people of Honduras. We're trying to ask ourselves if we want to go on a mission trip and it's all built around what we want or if we can do it or not. And the people of Honduras, meanwhile, are forgotten, walked away from, ignored. Maybe it's the hungry child in your kid's class. I was so inspired this week to hear a story of a three-year-old in our church who went and packed food bags and then later in the week came back and said, we need to pray for that kid whose backpack we packed because they might not have food. That is a big deal. Or maybe it's the child in your own home that's starving for your attention. That as much as you don't like to admit it, is forgotten, is overlooked, is not treated with respect. Who have you forgotten? Who have you overlooked? Who have you ignored? Put others first because Christ already put you first. You only serve well those you have suffered with. Until you have suffered with someone, you are serving yourself. One story as an example of that. Once a month, I deliver um, some food boxes to um, senior folks in our community that need food assistance. And um, one of the homes that I go into... Um, the air is all but unbreathable. I mean, it is just, it's just bad. And I, I'll go into her apartment, and I'll deliver her food. And one day I was sitting with her for just a moment, and um, here's what's running through my mind. How can I help, like, clear the air, literally, like, make the air healthier to breathe? And so she's talking to me, and she's telling me her story. And finally I was like, ma'am, I said, what's one thing that I can do that will really help you today? 
thinking that she might do this, right? She's got her oxygen mask on, the air's unbreathable. I was like, what? Like, what's one thing I can do? And she said, young man, you have no idea how much it means that I got five minutes to talk to you. I thought, oh, good grief. I think I know what's best for these people. I, I think I can do something that matters. And, and in the meantime, I was so distracted and not even listening to what she needed. You only serve well those you have suffered with. And until you've suffered with someone, you're just serving yourself. Romans 15, 1 through 7 says this, almost done. Now we who are strong, and don't read that as physically strong or positionally strong or financially strong. Read that as strong because we have Christ living in us. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, without Christ, and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ has put you first already. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you, to the glory of God. We can come to Jesus just as we are, knowing that change is coming, but we can come just as we are, knowing that he has put us first. He has put us first. Knowing that Christ puts us first, we are free to put others first. Knowing that Christ put each one of us first, we know that when we put others first, Christ will take care of us. He'll bring harmony in our lives. We know that it's going to be okay. We know that we can face the changes that are coming in our lives. We know that we can make it through the journey. We know that we can survive the hard times. We know that we will be received as God's children. At Billy Graham's funeral this week, his children spoke. And Ruth Graham was one of the, the children who spoke. And she told the story at his funeral, and she told it much better than I. But she told the story of how when she was young, she had gone through a divorce, and then a short period later, she had gotten remarried, and she said, it took me six weeks to realize that I'd made a mistake. She moved across the country and married this man, and it, didn't, it wasn't working out. And so she called her mom and dad and said, I just need to come home for the weekend. She was embarrassed, ashamed. They'd warned her about remarrying too fast. Billy Graham lives up on a mountain, and she said, I drove all the way across the country, but the worst part was that last drive up the mountain. She said, as I came around the last curve, there was Daddy. Big old smile on his face. She said, I got out of the car, and he looked at me and he said, Welcome home. I'm glad you're here. No, I told you so. None of that. And Ruth Graham made this statement about her father. She said, My father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. We can put others first because Christ has already put us first. 
and we can come to him just as we are. Charlotte Elliott wrote a song that Billy Graham has used in his crusades for years called Just As I Am. We're going to sing it here in just a few minutes. We're going to sing it along with Baptist churches all across our state uh, as we honor him. But I also want to honor the story of the song. Charlotte Elliott wrote this song one night because her brother was hosting a banquet. Her brother was hosting a banquet to raise money to send all these girls who couldn't afford to go to school to school. And so Charlotte Elliott was trying to sleep the night before the banquet, and she was ashamed of herself because she hadn't done anything as great as her brother. She was comparing herself to her brother, and she was just, you know, fed up, like, I'm not worth anything. She couldn't sleep. Because she couldn't sleep, she said, here's the only thing I could settle on. I, I could only write about the salvation that I knew that I had in Jesus Christ. And what came out was the poem that became the song, Just As I Am. The band's going to come back, and, and as they do, I just want to read the words of the song. This is this, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, that thing that we don't want to let go of, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. Wilt welcome, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, that will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, you'll relieve. Because of thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone. A Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am of that free love, the breadth, the length, the depth, and height to prove, here for a season, then above, a Lamb of God, I come. Christ has already put you first. He's waiting on you to come and die to yourself. Will you do that today? Will you prepare for whatever he has in your life so that you can move out on mission with him? This morning, there's lots of ways that we can think about that. One of them is to just take some time and pray. Take some time and be with the Lord, right where you are in your chair. And if you don't know him, you can, you can pray the prayer, right? You can just talk to God right where you are. It's this crazy idea. But because of Christ, you can pray to him and say, I come. I don't even know what that means, but I just, I come to you. Father, forgive my sins and make me new. We'll have people in the back, if you're not sure how to do that, or if you have questions about what that means, who will pray with you. And if you already have that relationship with Christ, maybe you've been stuck in that sin for a long time, and, and, and you've been sucked back into it, and you're no longer moving out with him, Man, ask him 
God, what is it that you're asking me to let go of? What is it that is in, in me? What is that sinful thing in me that I need to let go of? For all of us who are baptized believers in Christ, we know that we have this opportunity because of what he did on the cross. And when we take a piece of the bread and we come up and we do that and we dip it in the juice, we're remembering what happened to him on the cross so that we could live with him. We're celebrating that new life that we have in him. So wherever you are, the first step to moving out with Jesus is coming to him. So whatever your story, wherever you're at, whatever God is doing in your life, just as you are, come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you kept walking towards your death. You kept pressing into what was hard and uncomfortable, knowing that it would mean we could live with you forever. Put that in our hearts and our minds as we respond to you today. Help us to know that we don't need to come with anything figured out, with any pretense. We just need to come as we are and allow you to begin changing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.